Amen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me today to Mark chapter 12, verse 30. A man once came to Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall was a former chaplain of the United States Senate. And uh, this man that came to him had a concern about tithing. I have a problem, he said to Mr. Marshall. He said, I've been tithing for some time. You know, it wasn't too bad when I was making 20000 a year. I could afford to give that $2,000. But now I'm making 550000 and there's no way that I can afford to give over $50,000 away. And Mr. Marshall reflected on this wealthy man's dilemma, and he gave no advice. He simply said, you know, yes, sir, I see you have a problem. I think, you know, we ought to pray about it. Is that all right? The man agreed, so Dr. Marshall bowed his head and prayed, Dear Lord, this man has a problem, and I pray that you'll help him. Please reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. <laughs> what does it really mean to give God everything? And uh, be careful what you're praying, right? There's a question for us today, and I'm really not going to talk about money. I'm not preaching on money today. But when does a sacrifice become satisfying? Okay? When does a sacrifice become satisfying? When does giving feel like a gain? When does giving feel like a gain? And when does an offering look like an opportunity? When does sacrifice feel satisfying? When does giving feel like a gain? And when does an offering seem like an opportunity? You think about... uh, you know, parents, those of you who are parents, you know, good parents are willing to give everything to shelter, to feed, to clothe their children. They're give, you give up hobbies, you give up ambitions, many give up dreams, some give up their careers. But it's a satisfying sacrifice. You're giving an opportunity to your children. Uh, and, and it's giving because you want them to gain, right? And what is it about that mindset in the Christian life? And do we have that kind of mindset? When we think so much of our children, what we're willing to do for our children, how much more are we willing or should we be willing to do for God who's given us everything in return? All right, so we're going to look today that when we give of ourselves for a better life, should we not be doing the same for God? In Mark chapter 12, uh, last week we talked about the eight hypocrites uh, that might be in hell today, and this is actually in line with that. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus has just talked about all the hypocrisy that he sees in the temple and the worship and all the religious elite, and he's saying, hey, there is a religious way to worship God, but there's something else, uh, more, uh, there's a deeper way, there's a more intimate way, there's a better way that all the law is fulfilled, and we know this is the great command Mark 12, verse 30, and he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your... Everybody say all. All of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. All, everything, nothing left, everything, every a nook, cranny, every crevice of your heart. He's saying, you have to love God with the littlest, smallest piece of your life. Give it to God. And, give, and, and then think about how you love your children. The same way, you would be willing to die, to sacrifice anything for your children. You would lay down your life easily. It wouldn't even be a second guess. There wouldn't be anything 
preventing you from laying down your life for your children. And Jesus right here is telling the hypocritical religious people of his day, he's saying these people are prideful in this outward holiness, but inwardly they're spiritually, they really don't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it. Because God requires more than our money. He requires our everything. Is our love today for God as is it seen as a gift of faith? We're going to talk about these three, these three things. Is our love for God, as a, is it a gift of faith? Is it a sacrifice of love? And is it an offering of worship? Is your love for God a gift of faith? Is it a sacrifice of love? And is it an offering of worship? All she had. Mark, let's look down. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. I think we got this on the screen for you. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Let's read this. You can read with me. I'm reading through the New American Standard. And he says, and he sat down opposite of the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and she put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. We'll talk about that in a minute. Some translations will be different. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of the contributors to the treasury, for they put in out of their surplus but she out of her poverty. But she put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Let me give you a little background here. And I have actually an example. Miss Evelyn was gracious to let me borrow uh, a widow's mite. Some of your translations will say mite. Small little copper coins. Uh, and then maybe they can look at it afterwards, but they're up here. Small little copper coins. Widows were some of the poorest people in Palestine at this ancient time. So we're going back to the first century here, right? And because the economy was bad uh, and things were patriarchal, women were at the low, you know, they were a lesser class citizen, but widows uh, were, for whatever reason, at the lowest of low. There was like widows and slaves and children, okay? Uh, and that's just the way they were in a class system. Widows had no ability. Uh, it was just becoming increasingly available for women to have property. So many widows were destitute. They had no Social Security. They had no Medicaid, no Medicare, nothing like that. They literally were living off of uh, either an inheritance or perhaps if their husband had died in the war, they didn't have anything. And many of them relied uh, on friends or family or at this, uh, after Jesus, the church uh, to live. And so think about the destitute of the destitute, those who have no hope, no finances, no nothing. She's, maybe she was homeless. We do not know. But she was the lowest of the low, and we find her here in the court of the women in the temple. And there are different courts. We don't have time this morning to go into it. But in the court of the women, there was the court of the Gentiles, court of the women, then the court of the men, okay? The court of the women, men and women both came in, and the treasury was there. And in the treasury, uh, Jewish... Uh, tradition would state, we don't have proof of this, but there were 13 boxes set up for donations, like we have our offering place today, and there was a trumpet looking, uh, they kind of look like a trumpet where you drop it in the top of the trumpet, okay? And it would take your money. I remember those things when you were little, you put the coin in and it goes around and around and around until it really spins really fast. Anybody ever done that? Chuck E. Cheese or somewhere like that? Yeah. Okay, so think about it like that. And so people were putting their money in, and the first Two boxes were for your temple tax. The remaining boxes, and, and I won't go into all the details, but one would be for an offering uh, for a dove, or, or, or one would be an offering for an incense, one would be uh, an offering for wooden vessels, or one would be an offering for uh, golden instruments. And you would put the value of those things in that box, okay? 
And so if I created, had a sin, and that sin required a dove to be sacrificed, I'd put in the amount that it cost for a dove. And that priest, later on at the end of the day, they take all that money and they say, well, this is equal to about 40 doves, and they would go sacrifice the 40 doves. Okay? It was a lot easier way to just do one sacrifice at a time. They just put the offering in, and then the priest did it. Okay, and it also is a little bit, you know, you don't want anybody, you kind of walk by and you throw, throw some coins in there. I don't know, I want people to know I sinned this week, so I'm going to go put some offering, you know. And so... If you filled up, you say, I had this sin, I had that offering, and this voluntary offering, or whatever, there was the last remaining several boxes were for excess. Okay, follow with me. I'm, this is going to make sense in a minute. So I, I have a sin, or I wanted a dub, I put that in, but I have extra money in my pocket I want to give to God. Well, there's a corresponding box that was the excess boxes, okay? And so it was very apparent in this time those who had a lot of money. I'm going to put some money in some incense. I'm going to put some money in some wood. And I'm going to definitely put some money for some gold in the temple. And then, look, i got all this extra money, so I'm just going to go dump it in all these other boxes. It's a big showy thing, right? And you can understand when this woman comes, she only has two mites, two coins. She's not able to do all the boxes. And so she's able to do one, and then she's done. And you see the contrast. You learn a little bit more of the history about it. You kind of see the evidence here that's like, it was a, a, a show of who could give the most and, and what was going on. And this woman's money, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. This woman's money was two copper coins. Some would say leptons in your Bible. Some may say mites. But it was the smallest and only Jewish coin in Palestine. Romans didn't even use them. It was just a fraction of a Roman penny. And in perspective, just to, just to give you a perspective, these two little mites, it would take 32 of them just to buy two sparrows. Think about it. A sparrow is a bird, a little bitty bird, right? Worth nothing. The Bible talks about even God knows when a sparrow falls, right? It would take 32 of them just to uh, value in that day. It would take, uh, over, some would estimate, 128 of them just for a single day's wage of a common laborer. She was poor. This wouldn't even, today, uh, in our market, you know, it would be less than a dollar, just some cents, okay? She put some cents, some change, pocket change, in the offering plate. And you look at this today, and Jesus says she gave her everything. She gave her all. She, while these were giving out of their abundance, she gave out of her poverty. And while the rich were there, and they even kept some in their pockets, they even gave and gave, and they still had some money left over, she comes in. They're going to all the different boxes and making a big show. She comes in. She goes to one little trumpet box. She puts it in. She walks away, and he says, she is what I'm here for. You think about it this way. And this, uh, and I love what the, the, I don't read the Message Bible very often, but on this verse, I think it really pops. It says, all the others gave what they'll never miss, but she gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Man, what they will never miss. You know, there's a lot of things we throw money away at, right? We go to that McDonald's, we could do this, we do that, we buy that toy, that thing that we never, you'll never, there's money in our couches we don't even know is there, right? And this lady gave all she had. Literally, it says uh, she gave all she had, or one translation says she gave her life. I love that. She gave her life, her livelihood, her whole wealth, and she couldn't afford to do it, but she gave it anyway. She likely went without supper that night, one author says, and, and she could have actually kept one coin for herself to go buy some bread or, or a little morsel perhaps that night, but it was wholehearted commitment to God. 
know, this sermon's not at all about money. If you're hearing about money, that's because God's talking to you about money. Really, not at all about money. Jesus right now is teaching on love. He's teaching us today on love. Many times we give out of our abundance and we say, Lord, here you go. I'm going to keep this. Lord, please bless what I still have. Right? God, I'm, I'm satisfying my offering today. I'm, satisf- I'm, I'm serving this much. God, I'm get financially giving this much. God, I'm reaching out this much. God, I'm witnessing this much. And I'm doing this, God. Here's my offering. But God, please continue to bless my life, those things which I still have. Don't we? Don't we? Come on, think about it. God, here's what I'm willing to let you use in my life. Here's what I'm willing to really give you in my life. But, and here's, all, here's my offering. But God, please continue to bless what I'm currently still doing on my own without you. Here's what I'm still wanting to do. Here's my dreams, my plans, my ambitions. Here's my money. Here's what I'm saving for. Here's what I'm building with my life and my kingdom. God, please bless what I'm doing. And here's what I'm willing to give to you. But this woman comes... You know what her attitude was? Not saying, Lord, I'm giving you this, but I'm going to keep this. She says, Lord, I am nothing. Lord, I want nothing. You've got all of me. Lord, I have nothing. Lord, I'm asking for nothing. And I'm giving you everything. When does that sacrifice become satisfying? When does that giving become like a gain? And when does that offering become an opportunity? Let's talk about this to break it out. Gift of faith, sacrifice of love, offering of worship. Let's talk about the first one. Gift of faith, number one. Gift of faith. What is going on here? The smallest, this lady comes with the smallest, but yet the largest gift of the day. Think about that. She comes with the smallest gift, but also the largest gift of the day. Why? Because it's not really about money. It's about her faith. Her gift that day was not just two little mites. Her gift to God was her faith. You think about it. She was living throughout the day. She couldn't even buy two sparrows. And I don't know anybody that in this room wants to eat a sparrow. I don't think they'd have any meat on them. Uh, you know, a, a quail or a pigeon or something like that. But sparrows, she couldn't even buy sparrows. And so she's already living on faith. Every day she's living on faith. And so what does she have left to give God but her faith? She, I mean, do we, we don't even have a reference. I don't even have a frame of reference for living on faith like that. That when all I have left to give, God, I have nothing left but my faith. God, I've gotten to the last rope. God, I've given you all that I have. God, you have all my emotions, my, my tongue. God, you've got my eyes. You've got my ears. God, you've got my money. You've got my clothes, my house, my job, my kids. God, I have nothing left to give but my faith. And Jesus is teaching us today that God, she could have left thinking, you know, God, what, what, what are you going to do with my little bit? God, I really need this other coin or I, God, you know my needs. God, you know that I need to have these two coins left. You know if I could give you, God, I would. She didn't have that attitude. She could have thought, you know, in this great grand temple, Lord, with all these rich people, do you really need my two mites? God, do you really need my little talent? God, do you really need my words? God, do you really need my ability? God, what can I do in all of this grand scheme? You've got this great church you're building, God. You've got this great kingdom. Lord, you've got missionaries, you've got preachers, you've got evangelists. God, what do you need me for? But she comes, and with what she had, she had only been living on faith, and she said, God, I've been living day to day by you anyway. God, I've been getting through my hard times just by you anyway. And God, you have 
all of me. And my gift to you, Father, is my faith. God was rewarded by her gift of faith, not her money. And look at this. It was a demonstration. You know, you think about a farmer uh, sows seeds, right? And a farmer sowed seeds believing and hoping it will grow. Sometimes you're disappointed. <laughs> you know, depending on Louisiana weather, you may or may not get the garden you really wanted that year like mine, right? Uh, but they sow seeds by faith. I'm sowing the seed, and if the rain and the water and everything works out, God, you do the growth, it's going to grow. You know what? A farmer never holds those seeds in his garage and thinking, oh, I really wish this would grow. I really wish I had a garden this year. God, I really wish this tomato would be awesome. You're holding on to the seed. God can't bless it. God can't have an increase when we hold on to it. So this woman, knowing, thinking, God, I just have a little bit. God, I just have a little bit of talent. God, I just have a little bit of time. God, I just have a little bit of resources. She sowed it, believing God could increase it, that God could use it. You know, when we hold on to our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our finances, there is no opportunity for them to grow. We're not talking about grow here in this world. We're talking about kingdom advancement, eternal perspective. There's no opportunity for God to bless us with any part of our life if we hold on to it ourselves. But in faith, we give it to God, believing that it's God who does the increase in our lives. It's God who blesses us when we give our time, our abilities, our resources, and that it's God that does the growth. And Luke 6, 8, or 6.38 says, Give, it'll be given to you. The measure you use to give out will be the measure which God gives it back to you. I thought about it this week, and I was like, man, you know, God, what, what's going on in this lady's life? There's a few verses you can pull so much out of. And I was just thinking, you know, she really realized how faithful God was and God is. And knowing how faithful God is in His Word and in the history, and we look back and see how God has been faithful time and time again, it inspired her, God's faithfulness inspired her to be faith-filled, that it inspired, you know, if I think about God, how many times you've been through, I've been through this and you've been there, God, how many times in your word has your promises always been yes and amen, final, finished, yes, God's complete promises, over and over again, does that not inspire me to be full of faith? God's faithfulness should inspire us to be filled to the brim of faith, to know, God, Lord, when I don't have enough, you know, sometimes we, we think of it this way, God, Lord, when I don't have enough, then I'll give more. Or God, when I have more, sorry, I'll give more. God, when I get enough, then I'll get to that place where I can uh, give more. God, when I have more time, then I'll, I'll serve more your will. God, when I have more of this, God, then I can get more into that. When I have more time, more talent, more money, God, then I'll give it. But that's not the way God's kingdom works. He says this. He says, no, when you give your everything, you're all away, all that you are, then all your needs will be met. We've got to give our all to have all of our needs met. A lot of these promises in the Bible are, are about a covenant relationship, saying, God, I want you to bless me. God, I want your face shine on me. God, I want you to give me peace. God, I want you to bless my increase. God, I want you to care for all of my needs and watch over me like you watch over the sparrow. That is in the conditional covenant of being a person who says, God, I'm seeking your kingdom first, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm a person who's going all in. And those people are the ones that will have all of their needs met. It requires faith. God today is not asking you or me to give beyond our ability, but to believe in His ability. Think about that. He's not asking you to do more than your ability, but to believe in His ability. 
He's not asking you to be burdened by your giving to his kingdom will, but to believe that you will receive because his will says so. I think about the wilderness and the children of Israel. Uh, They lived hand to mouth with God. Man, they lived on his heavenly bread, that manna. And every day they could only pick up what they needed. And if they stored it all, what happened? It rotted, right? And that relationship to trust to say, God, you are my everything. And, and God's not saying live on debt. He's not saying don't save up for your children's you know, wedding or college fund or your retirement. He's not saying all that. But he's saying there must be this loving relationship where you love me just like your children. You love me just like your family relationships. You're willing to live by faith to know that you will always have what you need when you're obedient to me. You will always have what you need when you give me your everything. So I'm going to ask you today, what, what time do you have? What talents do you have? What gifts, what resources has God given unto you? And do you trust him with the tiniest fraction of your talent? Do you trust him with the tiniest fraction of your resources? Do you touch, trust him with the tiniest fraction of your time and say, God, you have every minute of every day. God, you have every cent of every dollar. God, you have every ounce of every energy that I have. God, you have every, every millisecond of every day. Don't miss your blessing. By holding on to your surplus. God, go all in. Her gift of faith, number two, was her sacrifice of love. Her sacrifice of love. You know, somebody might think, well, that wasn't much of a sacrifice. It was just a couple of cents. You know, a couple of cents. Jesus sees the proportional sacrifice there. And on that day, many were bringing this great sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, you know, she brought me more than a sacrifice. It was more than a sacrifice. It was an act of love. It was an act of love to God. A.W. Tozer, a great Christian writer and speaker, he said, I do not think I exaggerate when I say that some of us put in our offering with that kind of triumphant bounce, as if to say, there, now God will feel better. But he says, I'm obliged to tell you that God does not need anything you have. He does not need a dime of your money. It is your own spiritual welfare that's in it, that, that is at stake in such matters as those. It's really about your spirit, your relationship. Again, beyond money. God, you have this part of my life. You have this uh, portion of my being. You have this part of my soul. God, I even think about forgiveness, my emotions. God, you have this amount of my forgiveness and this amount of my love, but God, I'm not willing to forgive him or her that amount, right? God, I, I want to do this much, but God, I, I can't do that much. You know, you, again, looking at these young, these uh, Pharisees in this place, Jesus is looking at them, and I think about 1 Corinthians thirteen three. Suppose you give everything to the poor, Suppose you give your body to be burned, but if you do not have love, it profits you nothing. Jesus was thinking the same thing. These guys were just giving it all away, and they thought they, they were keeping on all, like had a surplus. Their own, they had their pride. They had their lust. They had their agendas. They had their own uh, uh, purposes for their life. They could easily give a couple thousand dollars because they had tens of thousands in the bank. But what God really wanted, he's like, but do I have your love? 
Are you willing to sacrifice everything as an act of love for me? And when is a sacrifice more than a sacrifice? Like I said about our children, man, you will, if, if all you guys have left in your, in your cupboard is uh, some rice and beans, you will give the larger portion to your children if you knew you were starving, right? And in those moments, you are willing to give up anything. C.S. Lewis wrote, he says, I am afraid the only safe rule, coming, we're talking about giving with God, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. There ought to be things that we should like to do but cannot because our charitable giving excludes them. I go into time and talent and treasure with that. You're willing to do without for your children. We were willing to cut things off, uh, rewrite our finances, do all these things for the sake of our children to have the very best that we can afford to give to them. And C.S. Lewis is saying, hey, why isn't it that way with God? Is there not things in this world that we should say, God, I won't do that because I'm giving so much to missions. God, I'm not going to even buy those things or go to those places because, God, I'm willing to sacrifice because I believe, God, you are worth more of that. God, there's things in my life, God, I'm going to sacrifice being around these people or doing those hobbies or, or eating or drinking these things. Or, and it's, again, it's not about religion or tradition. It's about saying, God, I am so invested in my love for you. God, I'm so passionate to sacrifice for you because it's a demonstration of my willingness to follow you wherever you go, to sacrifice for you in love. Hosea 6.6 6 tells us God delights uh, in loyalty rather than sacrifice, in the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Again, it's not about what you're giving. It's about how much of yourself you're giving, right? It's about your heart. Think about the wives, ladies. Which is better? That diamond ring from that husband who is too busy to have time for you or that gift that costs nothing that he spent weeks thinking of you to make. Which, ladies, would you rather have, right? You'd rather have that deeper relationship, even if you're poor, with your husband who loves you, spends time with you. The same thing with God. God's the same way. You could give him all the very best things in this world. You could buy the church, you know, uh, shuttle buses. You could carpet the church for us. You could do all these things with all the excesses. You could give your very best in time and resources. You could play the instruments the very best. You could be one of the most professional piano or guitar players. But if we have not given of ourselves, we've given nothing. God, I want to give everything I have. The rich gave from their abundance, but she gave from her poverty. She gave from the extravagant heart. She gave all her life. I'm reminded of the quote by a mission, missionary James Calvert, who went out to Cannibal Fiji to preach the message of the gospel. And I've said this before, but the captain of the ship sought to dissuade the missionary James Calvert. And he says, hey... You're going to risk your life and all of those who are with you if you go onto that island among all those savages. You're going to die. You're going to make them die too. And he says to the captain, just a simple reply, we died before we came here. Wow. God, I want to give everything. God, all of my love, all that I have. Are we willing to sacrifice our everything for God today? Man, I think so many times we'd say, 
God, I, I'm not ready to give up all of that attitude. Man, I, I, I really like my opinion about this election. God, I really like my opinion about what that belief or that belief or what I should do there or what they should do or, God, who, how they've hurt me or, or, Lord, where I'm going in my life or, Lord, what I wish should have happened in my own family or my own life or what he or she has done to me. Man, giving it all to God because I love him. Because I'm saying, God, it's, it's, it's about loving God means giving everything to Him. Not just the outward stuff, but all of the inward. And lastly, hers was an offering of worship. It was a gift of faith. Most, firstly, it was a sacrifice of love. And lastly, it was an offering of worship. The house of God was crowded. Many are coming in to give their, they're wearing their best clothes. They're coming into their regular offerings. Man, it's just a a regular routine in the house of God today. And they were singing the traditional songs. They're saying the rote prayers. And everybody's stepping back and watching the whole religious scene happen. Kind of like most American churches today. Coming in, brother, sister, so-and-so, got the coffee, got the donuts. Man, the air conditioner set just right. So-and-so is in that pew. So-and-so is in this pew. Man, they got the good songs. There's fast songs or two, three slow songs, awesome prayer. Then they offering, and then this pastor comes up and prays, and then we got an illustrated sermon and a video and got the lights on. And Man, it was just a good day to be in the house of God. And all the hustle and bustle and all the ins and outs. Fourteen people go to the bathroom, one, two, three babies cry. It's just a normal Sunday service. Right? <laughs> Whoo. All of the hustle and bustle goes on. God doesn't pay attention to any of it. He's watching one person. Because that person came in to give an offering of worship. Something that really, really cost them something. And here Jesus is watching all of this go on. And he's what? One person. He's got his eyes on them. Because he's like, they're coming in to give me an offering. A true heartfelt offering of worship. She was the only one God noticed that day. She gave the smallest offering today of that day, but it was more than an offering. It was true, spirit-filled worship. Jesus says those that worship God in this new covenant is because God is a spirit and His worships, worshipers must worship Him in spirit and in truth, John four twenty four. You know, there's a need in every person to worship something. You think of all the sports players. You think of all the musicians, the actors, the dancers, the Hollywood stars, all the things that fame brings, all the things that people are giving to and worshiping. The people will pay hundreds and uh, even $500 to go listen to somebody play some music to a, a track that they're lip-singing to. I mean, we'll go drive hours to concerts and hours to football games and hours to playoffs and all these things. We'll give money We'll celebrate. We'll like things on Facebook. We'll follow that actor. We'll wear their clothes. We'll buy their designer jeans and their designer purses. And we'll do all these things to worship these people. But really, you and I were made to worship God. We're made. That's our purpose. We're made to worship God. And, and I love what one author says, that worship is a part of us. It's, it's inside of you, and it's meant for God. And Scripture sees that nothing is really complete until it serves the purpose for which God has made it. You and I are not complete until every part of your being, mind, body, and soul is worshiping God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength until every fiber in your being, every emotion, every opinion, every belief, until you are fully invested in loving God. You are not complete as a person. 
You're not whole as a being. You, you're not uh, in the design of your master, the one who created you. And this woman comes and she fills out what Jesus would say. You know, Paul is saying in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies living sacrifices, holy sacrifices, acceptable to God. This is a spiritual service of worship because the best offering to God is the offering of yourself. The best worship to God is an offering of yourself. She gave all she had. She gave her life. Until God has your life, you're not whole. Until God has all of your life, you're not a, even a healthy Christian. Until God has everything. When's the last time we gave God everything in worship? Not just in a worship service, but just as a way of living. God, when did I have, have given you my Everything. 2 Corinthians 8 9, and, and what's your motivation? Why, where, why did she do this? Why did, why did she feel like she had to go that much or give that much? Why, why should we be a people who are willing to go not just to satisfy that I'm here on uh, central Louisiana on a Sunday morning and I got my Sunday best and I'm going to go home and I'm going to eat some lunch and I'm going to take a nap when I watch a couple hours of TV and I may or may not come tonight and then I'm going to go to work on Monday and then we're just going to go through the whole routine again the next week. Why would I be satisfied with a mundane life? When I have a God who's given me everything. Look at this. What motivates me today is 2 Corinthians 8 9. He says, For you know now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You look back in Romans 8, which we read this morning, that we have a God who did not withhold even His Son from us. But if He freely gave us His Son, He's going to freely give us all things. We have a God who gave us everything. Everything. He is a, he is a God who gave us His life. And so how can we not be a people who give our lives? He became poor, humble, broken, despised, hated and rejected. And he offered himself up to worship God for you and me. Why do I give so little? Why do I hold on to my surplus? Why do I hold on to the things that I can control, that I, I want to do, that I want to feel?